You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul. I am in addiction recovery. And welcome to National Recovery Month. Every September, yes, every September of every year, we have the opportunity to celebrate National Recovery Month. The awesome tagline, every person, every family, every community, really speaks to the heart that when we begin to move ourselves from addiction into sobriety, into recovery, it's for every person. It's for every family. It's for every community. Everybody benefits. It is astounding to me how much addiction can destroy a person, a family, a community, a whole civilization. And it's amazing when we as a collective unit really have begun to pay more attention to mental health in our society and not you know, the stigmatizing behavior of saying that a drunk is just, you know, lacking morals and ethics and values and instead realizing that there's a pain, there's a suffering, there's a sorrow going on inside that person. They used something they thought was going to be medicine, i.e. an addictive device, and it turned out to be their poison. And so I'm loving this National Recovery Month. Something I am going to be doing, um, well, we'll get into that a little bit later. I just got done watching Netflix the show Painkiller. And there's also another one I want to say it was on Hulu, but I'm not positive, where Michael Keaton was the star. This one had Ferris Bueller. Literally, Ferris Bueller was the star of the Painkiller one on Netflix. And I'll tell you what, if you haven't had a chance to watch this, it is something worth seeing. When you really grasp the level of deceit and treachery that Purdue Pharma went through and what they did in order to get this drug to market and basically just say, here you go, take this most addictive opioid that could possibly be on the market right now that's quote unquote legal and let's just feed it to everybody. But then let's also make everybody who's abusing it seem like it's at their fault. It's their peril. It has nothing to do with our behavior and what we've done. Never mind that there was literally 160 milligram oxycontins floating around in society. That blows my mind, and even more so that people were crushing them up and snorting them. I it just I was not in the oxy world when that stuff was going um, bonkers. I was in the rave community in Orlando from '97 to 2002. And oxys just weren't what we were doing. We were definitely doing LSD and ecstasy and ketamine. And of course, you know, anything that would bring us down off of all that stuff, you know, the Vicodin, the Percocets and the Zandy bars and the Amitriptylines. But we weren't nothing to do with oxy. And I do remember people talking about the high you could get off of that. And that when you stopped being able to get your prescription, you were either on the black market where they were insanely expensive or you turned to heroin. And I had seen a movie called The Basketball Diaries in my teenage years. It was starring Leonardo DiCaprio, and he used a needle in there. And I don't remember that movie like the back of my hand. I don't remember if it was heroin that they were shooting up, but I just remember telling myself, you will never touch needle drugs. I was still to this day cannot handle watching blood be drawn from my arm. So I was deathly afraid of anything that might lead me towards needle drugs. And when I heard Oxy had a, 
an ability to move you towards heroin, I was very quick to just instigate a behavior away from anyone who might be doing that. And again, I was a hardcore raver, and that just wasn't our scene. So my sister and I made a comment to one another the other day that we're actually quite lucky that we were as deep into the rave scene as we were. And albeit perhaps we were really too deep because of the amount of stuff we were doing, but we were those people who were have taken anything offered to us and we're feeling pretty blessed that Oxy was not one of those things that we allowed into our lives. So if you haven't seen Painkiller, you want to get an idea of how society can demonize the addict instead of the the major, you know, conglomerate that is turning us into addicts. It's it's just a very interesting show. I would highly recommend it. And I thought what a great thing to watch as I rolled into National Recovery Month and we really started to talk about destigmatizing addiction and talking to one another in a way where we say, okay, sure that's what you did then, but that's not who you are now. Whoever you were then does not have to be what your future is built upon. You have an opportunity each and every day to prove to yourself, first and foremost, that you can figure out your way out of that darkness, out of that despair. Your trauma is not your fault. It is your responsibility to heal it. Nobody can do that for you. Saying, oh, I want to do this for this person, that person, or the other person. Here's the issue with that. If they don't give you the feedback you desire, then you could say, well, this has all just been for a waste because I'm not getting the feedback from them. I'm not getting the congratulations. They're not all of a sudden welcoming me back to their arms. So why did I even go through all of this? I should just go back to using. But when you look in the mirror and you realize this is for yourself, that person you can't lie to. You cannot lie to yourself. That person's going to look back and they're going to want this for you just as much as you know you want it for you. That person in the mirror is the one that's always there with you, and that will be the one that will pull you through. They were there with you at the darkest of depths, and I can assure you they will be smiling down. They, that version of you inside that's been locked away by addiction, that's going to be the first person who congratulates you when you make it to 7 days, 30 days, 60 days, 180 days. That's the version of you waiting, smiling, laughing with you, telling you that you're worth it, you are worthy of love. Let's let National Recovery Month be that month that not only we look at the mirror and say, I am worthy of love, but that we can look at other people who we may have looked down upon for whatever reason and say they are equally worthy of love. That does not mean you have to like everybody. (laughs) It does not mean you have to agree with everything that somebody says. Just because you listen to somebody's opinion does not mean that you condone it. Just because you watch somebody behave a certain way does not mean you condone it. And just because you are polite to somebody does not mean that you like them. You don't have to like everybody. Not everybody likes you. Not everybody likes me. I'm okay with that. I wasn't okay with that at 19. I tried to fit in everywhere. At 47, fuck it. I am who I am. I hope that you all can get to that space for yourselves because it's extremely free. So National Recovery Month, I'm looking forward to busting out some amazing episodes over the, over the course of this month. I've also been preparing 77 Sunrises Sober, and I'm going to be unleashing that in the Wise Mind Empowerment and Leadership Tribe. It's also uh, really focused on addiction recovery in as much as a lot of the topics that we talk about here on this show, I then move over here to my online academy, and then I actually go more in depth. 
because there's an opportunity to use slides and pictures and things that a podcast doesn't bring. So if you're looking for a way to really dive down in deep into your addiction recovery journey and you love the content on this show, then you're absolutely going to love what I'm bringing to you um, on the Wise Mind Empowerment and Leadership Academy, the recovery tribe that I've got going over on Voxer. And I've got an NLP class. I'm teaching neuro-linguistic programming to people just like you. If that's something that you've been intrigued by because you hear me talking about it all the time on this show, go to callcoachjesse.com and set up a time to have a phone call with me. And you can go to jessemogul.com slash askme and you can just send an email over to me as well. Fill out a quick little form. Let me know what you're interested in and I'll get back with you. And of course, from that portal, you can also set up a call. Call Coach Jesse. Dot com. Call Coach Jesse. Dot com. Sounds like a 1998 um, internet commercial. What? There was a there was a dot com commercial back in the day. So what are we going to cover today? Oh boy. I went to Indiana, so we're going to talk about communication. I've been helping the family, the daughter who I helped get into the Addiction Recovery Center, but having conversations with the family, noticing some really amazing language pattern habits here that I'm going to help guide them through. Going to be talking about that. And I am now into week three of my master's, and I am absolutely getting demolished by this course. So we're going to talk about that. And if we got a little time at the end, might even bring up a little flight, fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. Let's get to the nitty gritty today. And let's start with communication. So I go up to Indiana to visit some high school and college friends. And they've got children that are in high school and middle school. And these are people that I was in my little show choir, Music Man, if, I, if you could see me in my office right now. I'm doing this little thing where I move my hands in front of me and I'm kicking my foot out. It's like da 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 Meet me in St. Louis, Louis. Yes, I was in show choir. I was in you remember the TV show Glee? That's what I did my senior year. Um I was not great. I almost said that I was bad at it, but look, I was there. I was a warm body. I danced. I sang. I was even in the play Meet Me in St. Louis. Yeah, I crushed it. I crushed it. I was so not good at singing that they had to bring in somebody else to like be my backup singer during my one solo. But I'll tell you what, I had people laughing at scenes that in other versions of Meet Me in St. Louis, they did not laugh, but they were laughing with me, not at me. It was a blast. And I was great friends with them back in high school. Then I went off to college and became even better friends with some of them. And so now I get to go back up to Indiana where I went to high school. And this weekend happened to be the big Columbus North versus Columbus East rivalry game. And I went to North. I'm a bulldog. And those other wackadoodles across town are called Olympians. And their mascot's a torch. And ours is a bulldog with a really awesome collar that would totally snuff out a torch. So if the battle is between mascots, we're crushing it. Um, Now, if we're looking at real Olympians, then they probably would be able to beat a bulldog. And here's where the communication comes into this. Thank you for letting me go off into this two-minute rant about me being in show choir. Meet me in St. Louis, Louis. Uh, (laughs) We did a rendition of You Ain't Never Had a Friend Like Me from uh, Aladdin. I still can do the box step, too. Anyways, so here's where communication comes in. And I had a really great conversation with one of my friends up there about this because her daughter is on a high school volleyball team. And 
she's a junior, was supposed to be playing varsity. Um, first game's not going well. Lots of the players aren't doing a great job. So they move my friend's daughter um, from the front to the back. And if you don't know much about volleyball, people have, there, there's like levels, not of ability, although there is that too. But on the back, you're more going to be doing the bumping. In the middle, you're going to be doing setting. And in the front, you're going to be spiking. Most of you have probably at least seen a volleyball match on Olympics. And so you can picture that when somebody serves the ball, the back people are generally the ones who get the ball to hit to them. And that's who bumps it. Middle people set it. Front people spike it. Do we have a full visualization of how volleyball is played now? And she went from being the spiker to the bumper. Very different skill set. Not something she'd been practicing all summer. Wasn't really sure why she was moved back there. Other players were moved around and then eventually moved back to their old spots, but not her. So first game doesn't go well for the whole team. Second game, basically, she doesn't even play at all. And that was the maybe by the time I'd gotten there, it was game three, still only playing JV, not getting a lot of opportunities to play, and then ends up not getting to play any varsity at all. And so... A lot of sadness within the family because they were really looking forward to her playing varsity volleyball her junior year and just, you know, being able to celebrate her having worked so hard over the last few years to get good at a sport that she didn't know nothing about till middle school. And it was really cool to get to see her play when she did, but I could understand the sadness within the family to have these expectations and then not have them play out. Right? We've talked a lot about expectations and what happens when expectations don't play out the way that we would hope. Then we get frustrated, we get disappointed, we get sad. And they had expectations and what was happening between the coach and my friend's daughter, this was not working out. And this is where we're going to dive into the communication aspect of it. See, there are people in this world who have been put into a place of leadership. It's why I call my online academy, the Wise Mind Empowerment and Leadership Academy. Wise Mind is when you take your emotional mind and your rational mind and you meld them together so that you can interplay between both of them in a very balanced way. That's how you have, that's how you have a wise mind. The empowerment and the leadership, the empowerment comes from the empowerment dynamic where you're the creator, I'm the coach, and the world itself is the challenger rather than the disempowered dynamic where you're the victim, somebody's the hero, and then somebody else is the villain. And then, of course, there's the leadership part because I believe that we all have leadership in us and we all are leaders at some point during our day. That we're all leaders during some point in our day. Whether we want to admit it or be aware of it is completely different conversation than the fact is you are a leader. Somewhere in your life, somebody turns to you and says, I need something. That's you taking on a leadership role. So there you go. Nice quick explanation for why I call the Academy the way I do. And we'll talk more about some of those aspects later. But for now, I want to get into the leadership aspect of it. I believe that we're all leaders. And there are people who are put into positions of leadership who are literally in charge of other people's futures. And in many ways, a volleyball coach in high school benching a player who's hoping to do extremely well and potentially get an athletic scholarship playing this, and then not communicating to said player about what they can do to better themselves in order to go back to playing full-time and being a starter, that's where the leadership started to fall apart. And that's why we've been going on about this for the last five minutes to get to this spot right here. As a leader, which you are, it is of the utmost 
that you focus in on your aspects of communication. If you are not doing something for somebody else or helping somebody or being involved in something or leading in a way that they had expected you to, and then you don't communicate, there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of frustration. There's a lot of overwhelm that comes with that. This young lady in high school is sitting here expecting to play varsity. Her coach benches her, never talks to her, like literally, according to both of them, the mom and the daughter. It does not conversate with her at all about why she got benched, what she could be doing better, what she needs to focus on in practice. No communication whatsoever, other than some, you know, passive aggressive, I would call them, text messages with, you know, positive, you know, quotes and memes on a Sunday. I know you can do this. You stay focused. Everything will be great. You know, showing a kitty cat holding on to the side of a cliff, you know, shit like that. But that's not communication. If in your life, something is going sideways. And I truly honestly believe every single human problem we have ever had, including our wars, all the way down to kingdoms falling apart. Hell, I'm sure the dinosaurs did not communicate effectively with one another, and now they're extinct. (laughs) Hey, is anybody else watching all these meteors fall out of the sky? Do you think something's up right now? No, man, no, man. I'm getting getting no time for that. I'm just going to sit over here and eat this bush. And then, you know, 16 days later, a gigantic fireball comes out of the sky. Humans aren't great at communicating. It's amazing to me that we even have figured out a way to talk to one another at all. And this young lady was not being communicated effectively with by this person who was the coach, thus the leader. And I couldn't help but talk with my friend and be like, okay, well, how are you going to approach this? Because you you have to take on a level of personal responsibility. You can't go up to this woman who's the coach and say, hey, you're not playing my daughter. What the hell's going on? You've got to go and you've got to approach it in a way where it's like, okay, this is what I'm noticing. This is what we thought was going to happen. It's not happening. What can we do on our own? to work on these things with the daughter in order to help her achieve getting back to where she was over the summer when you were applauding her and lauding her and patting her on the back and saying she's the example everyone needs to strive to reach toward. And I could not help but just notice the sadness amongst the family about this whole situation and how the coach was playing such a pivotal role and then not actually playing that pivotal role. She's in this lead of the play and then just sort of standing there doing nothing. That's not acceptable as a leader. And it's not acceptable as people in addiction recovery. We've muted ourselves. We've not spoken our truth. We've allowed people to walk all over us. We have certainly walked all over other people. Communication is our way through this. And you have to start it off by using the I statements. I have noticed I'm not doing this. I am wondering what I can be doing differently in order for us to be able to achieve this outcome. Because if you're not taking on personal responsibility, instead you're blaming the coach, you're complaining about the coach's decision, or you're making excuses for why your daughter isn't playing up to you know par. Uh, well, you moved her from front row to back row. That's not going to make it, right? That's no, that's not personal responsibility. And I will applaud this family, my friends, that they took personal responsibility. Sure, they were complaining in front of me, but when it came to how they were interacting in public about it, it very much was, hey, 
we see that you need some help in the back. We notice that my daughter is not fulfilling her role. What is it that we can be doing to help her achieve getting better so that she can take on a starter role again? They went and started, uh, they talked to another one of the coaches, like the assistant coach. Assistant coach gave some pointers. Daughter went off and worked on those things in practice. She started the next game, and now she started the last two in a row. So, boom. But again, communication. And they approached it with I statements. And I was definitely coaching up on this one too. Got to go in with I statements. Don't blame, don't complain, don't make excuses. What can I be doing? I want you to be focusing on this kind of thing in your own recovery. Where are you having the opportunity to take on a leadership role? Where can you be communicating more effectively with the people who are looking up to you? Where are you noticing a lack of communication in your life? And where could it be more empowering? Where can you take on this idea that you are the creator? The lack of communication, that's the challenger, right? Or maybe I'm the coach in this whole thing. Because here's the thing. We often, when we're at conflict with another person, we think we're going against them, like it's a war against them. It's not. The the war, if we even want to frame it that way, is the situation. It's the problem. It's the lack of communication. That's what we're trying to battle through. If we're sitting here arguing back and forth about what's for dinner, I don't have a problem with this person. I have a problem with the way that we're not figuring out what to eat for dinner or that we even need to eat at all. That's the situation. Because if the situation, if we didn't, neither one of us were hungry, if it was middle of the afternoon and it wasn't dinner time, this conversation wouldn't even be a problem. But now it's seven o'clock, we're both hangry, and now it's a problem. But it's not a problem between me and another person. It's a problem with us against dinner time. So let's figure that kind of stuff out. When we have healthy communication, we have less conflicts. When we have less conflicts, we have less emotional surges. When we have less emotional surges, we have less triggering events in our lives. Triggering events are where we have attached strong emotional, mental, physical, or spiritual anchors in our lives. And I I firmly believe that there are no weak people. There are only strong anchors. Somebody rolls their eyes. I flip out. I was not really mad at that person for rolling their eyes. I have strong anchors attached to the rolling of eyes, making me feel less than, and then I snap, right? That's the way an anchor works. Think of an anchor like like an alarm going off. Alarm goes off, you hit snooze, and you either get up or you don't get up, but there's an anchor attached to that. So when we have better communication... Then we have less conflict. Less conflict means less emotional surges. Less emotional surges means less triggering events, which means that we are now able to more smoothly go through our day. We know we're going to have conflict from time to time. When those moments happen, it's imperative. We step into communication with the other person and we, and we go in using I statements. If you go in using you statements, the person's going to feel like they have to defend themselves. And this is a great segue to the second point of the, today's episode. The family where I helped the daughter get into the Addiction Recovery Center. They're both using patterns, the daughter and the parents, where it is a lack of personal responsibility. Well, if they were to do this, then I could heal. Well, if they were to do this, then I would be able to let them back in the house. Well, they did this, and that's why I yelled. And they did this, and that's why I used. And she did this, and she did that, and they did this, and they did that. 
It's a lack of personal responsibility in the entire family. And I get that the parents don't think that they have to take on personal responsibility because they weren't the one using drugs. They weren't the one drinking. They weren't the one lying and cheating and stealing the whole deal. I get, I get, I get their point of view. But it's not going to make the situation better. <laughs> you want to stand on the top of your, you know, your hill with your flag planted and just continue to tell everybody else that they're wrong is not going to make your hill easier to defend. It's just not. And at some point for real healing to happen, all parties involved are going to have to admit that there was something that they did in the entire scheme of things that brought these current events to fruition. Sure, do I think that a majority of it is going to rest upon the daughter's shoulder because she was the one in addiction? She was the one bringing all of this strife into the family's home? Certainly. There's going to be a heavier weight placed upon her shoulders. But it does not mean that everybody else is fine. When I took the CRSS classes through the University of Alabama, one thing that one of the professors made very clear, very aware, that when one person is sick in the family, the whole family is sick. If one person has addiction, then everybody is sick. Everybody has played some role. That life played out the way life played out, and here we are. Was there some trauma as a child? Was there a lack of emotion, uh, emotional management? Was there a lack of emotional awareness or of communication? Sure, all of the above. The professor went on to say that you could pretty much look at an addict's family and find different people in different places and different spaces where they can pinpoint times where had it gone a little differently, maybe the person would have gone a different direction. Now, of course, we're all still very much signed up for free will, and we're still making our own decisions. But to just look at the addict and say, this is all on you, and to not look at everyone else and say, okay, well, how are you communicating? How are you, you know, being involved? And yes, I have come across families where, the, where they were super involved and their child turned out to an addict. Then they were, you know, kid was a latchkey kid, turned into an addict, or they're not involved at all turned into an addict, didn't even have parents, was raised by grandparents, turned into an addict, raised in a McMansion with all the money they could want in a new car as soon as they turned 16, turned into an addict. A background does not dictate whether you are going to be an addict or not. Traumatic moments that we relive over and over and over again in our heads, turning them into trauma and then attaching other similar circumstances and events to that original traumatic event, and then wrapping them all up as one gift and saying, this is depression, this is anxiety, this is stress, this is how you begin to create a young addict. When I was eight years old and I was obsessive compulsive because my mom got Crohn's and everything had to be in the same spot, I had to know where everything was, I had to help her carry around this bag I you know, affectionately call the crap bag because it had all of the colostomy supplies and glue and tape and change of clothes and new shoes, anything she could possibly need if her colostomy bag broke open and fecal matter rolled down her leg, we had in this bag. And because everything had to always be in that bag, we had to be very meticulous to make sure everything was always in the bag. So then I took that obsessive compulsiveness about the crap bag and I just started putting it into other areas of my life. 
My room was immaculately clean. I knew where all my baseball cards were. My video games were in alphabetical order. Um, I started writing down all my statistics for a football game I played for like two years. Every single play I would write down. I mean, I had a system. Man, I was good at that. It was called Tecmo Bowl. And if Walter Payton ran for nine yards, I was able to write down nine yards and still call the play and be ready for the next one without even pausing the game. Willie Galt caught a 30 to 40 yard pass. No problem. I was able to write down 34 yards. So every single game, I could tell you how many yards the player got and how many touchdowns they got. And then how many times against that one team and then that one season. And I was meticulous. I brought that meticulous nature from the crap bag and I put it into every aspect of my life. Because I just felt like if I could be in control, if I could know where everything is in my life, then the chaos that was actually around me wouldn't feel so chaotic. Any psychiatrist worth their salt would have known very early on from eight years old, nine years old, 10 years old, would have seen future addict in my future had the, had I not been steered in a different direction. And unfortunately, I was not steered in a different direction. Um, well, let me take that back. I was. I was like top 10 in my high school when I graduated with grades and, you know, taking AP English classes and stuff like that. And I was very involved um, with my grades and I had friends. So I didn't really show signs at an early age. Uh, my behavior showed signs, but my actions and my outcomes did not. My actions of studying and getting good grades, my outcomes did not show uh, I think my behaviors did. And so let's circle this back to if one person's sick, everyone's sick. My mom was sick, right? The whole family was sick. I became an addict. Now the whole family has that going on. It changes the way people's lives maneuver around. And if this family isn't willing to sit down with one another and really in a heartfelt way, take on personal responsibility for the roles they played. And in some cases, the parents' role was just the enabling for all those years. Then It's going to be more difficult. The healing is going to occur if everyone decides they want it to occur. It's just the amount of time and effort that we're going to put into circling back over the same topic over and over and over again until we can come to an agreeance, a level of forgiveness. Uh, it's absolutely just one of the coolest things I get to experience is watching families heal because I've done this so many times that I can literally see the patterns in their language. I can notice the way they're behaving now and I can see that if they keep making these certain steps that they will go down that one path that leads to the successful um, completion of this program for the daughter, of the family getting back together, of the family being able to step into recovery together as a family unit. I can also see if they start making different decisions, how this thing can go sideways. And we could be looking at many more years of addiction until we get to the healing. So I want to make sure that for yourselves, going back to personal responsibility, you are not blaming, complaining, or making excuses. And that you're extremely mindful that the way you talk will speak volumes for how you really feel. You might think you're getting away with saying the right thing at the right time, but somebody with an ear like mine, I hear what's not being said. I catch those little nuanced innuendos, those little sidebars, those little references that somebody makes that they think just slip under the radar. They don't slip under my radar. I think it's one of the reasons that I'm such an effective coach is that I, I hear what people think I'm not hearing and then I'm able to tell them back 
what I think they really said. And you'd be amazed how many times I hear from people like, wow, that's spot on. I did not think you were going to hear that. And it's pretty remarkable to do this so many times that I start to notice a pattern in the evolution of somebody toward healing or toward the degradation. Um, It's just, it's very interesting. So in your own life, I want you to be mindful of your language patterns. And are you accepting personal responsibility for your behaviors? Not just in what you did when you were actively using, but now in your sobriety and recovery. If something goes sideways, can you just say, okay, I'm, you know what? I'm sorry, I forgot. That's on me. I know you said it like three days ago. I just forgot. My apologies. I just forgot. You know, you know life is humbling. I am, I am present now. Right? Remember I taught you guys that when life is humbling, I am present now. It's just, it's just a way of me to say it instead of, oh, Jesse, stop being so stupid or dumb. It's just like life can humble us. Let's just be more present. I have this thing where if I don't put it in my calendar, if I don't put it in my P4F, if I don't, if I don't put it down in, into my notes, then there's a very good chance that my brain is just, it's just going to go out. I write things down because honestly, I've got too much on my mind to remember random things. And when people are like, oh, hey, you know, remember this or don't let me forget that. I'm like, are we going to write that down? Just text it to me because I'm honestly, I'm not going to remember what you just said. Like, no, <laughs> I've, got, I've got 57 things that I'm seeking to accomplish this month and 11 of them I'd like to love to get done in the next four days. You randomly saying something, you know, as you pass by me in the hallway is not going to stick. But there are those times where I would prefer it does. And I just simply say, I'm sorry. I did not recall that. Life is humbling. I'll be more present now. I'd love for you all to be more present now. And then let's close up on what I'm doing with my masters. So I have started, for many of you who are following linearly, you know this, taking my uh, master's in uh, clinical counseling with a um, concentration in trauma. I'm not sure that's how I'm supposed to be saying it. I don't have that memorized yet. But when it's all said and done, I'll be a licensed professional counselor. Yes, that is a fancy word for fancy title for therapist. And it's like a three-year journey. (laughs) This is going to be a long time. And what I have noticed, and let's just do a quick review before I tell you what I have noticed. So, so far we talked about communication being mindful of actually communicating when we're having issues with somebody else so that we can bypass any kind of conflict. We've also discussed language patterns and personal responsibility. We actually melded the high school friend situation in Indiana and the family going through addiction recovery here in Huntsville. We melded those two together by talking about personal responsibility and not blaming, complaining, or making excuses. We melded those into one because it's two different things happening both parties needed to accept personal responsibility. And now we're going to flow into me in master's and becoming this licensed professional counselor and just what has been going on with that. Because for myself, it was imperative that I too take on personal responsibility. Now, where within getting my master's, does this somehow connect to personal responsibility, which we have just discussed as not blaming, complaining, or making excuses? So I have this thing where I like to charge full on like a bull (laughs) running toward a china shop. 
Um, I do it like today. We were putting up blinds in the bathroom. I'm like, I don't need to read the instructions. I'm just, I, I've put up blinds before, and I get all the parts out in front of me, and I get up, get up into the windowsill, and things all. I'm like, They're not, this is not looking the way that it looked the last time I did this. And after about five minutes of just struggling and confusion, I finally picked up the instructions and was like, Oh, okay. Could have saved myself that five minutes of frustration. I like to just charge forward, right? I'm just like, I'm, a, I'm an action taker. Let's just do it and let's figure it out later. Some people want to plan a bunch and then take action. I want to take action and figure it out along the way. And maybe I put the Ikea t- furniture together wrong a couple times because of that. I have absolutely put those drawer things uh, on the wrong side and upside down because of this. Uh, we put on drawers today and I actually was so happy. I was like, look, I'm putting them on the correct way this time, the first time. A girlfriend and I like to make fun that we're going to start up a handyman company called J&J with a tagline, you don't want to do it? Call us. We'll measure 10 times, cut once, and still be wrong (laughs) because we make so many errors along the way because we both just want to charge forward. And at some point, it's like, ah, fuck, got to read these instructions. Okay, back to the lesson at hand. I like to charge forward. This software that Grand Canyon University offers is a, an app, it's an interface called Halo. If you've ever done online classes for college, then you may have heard of Blackboard. I know there's a few others, but Blackboard was University of Alabama's. Grand Canyon University's is Halo. And to say that it's a well-oiled machine over there at GCU and that they have put together an amazing system to ensure my success. At no point can I say Grand Canyon University has not prepared me for what's ahead. This first class is really just a class on teaching me how to be a student. And I say that flippantly. What it's really teaching you is how to be a grad student, how to do bibliography pages and annotations and in-sentence citations and how to use their research methodology on their interface. It's, it's great. It's awesome. For someone who hasn't been in college since 2006 and used to go to class high as a fucking kite and drunker than shit, this is a completely different experience to me. And it's all online, so you have to be very thorough with your time management, with my time management, in order to make sure everything gets in on time. And the big key to this whole thing is slow down and read the instructions. <laughs> And I say that with a laugh because I have done so many things wrong. Okay, I'm not going to I'm going to take back the word wrong. I have done things in a manner which has caused me to have to go back and do things again in order to do them in the way I was instructed the first time had I read the damn instructions. <laughs> And one of the things that I keep flashing back to is whenever the Health Care Act went through and uh, often affectionately called Obamacare, I remember calling up Covered California and having like a three-hour-long conversation with this woman on the other end of the line who was the rep for the health care. And in California, they had their own. They built their own website, their own whole thing called Covered California. And I stayed on the phone with this woman for three hours, and I asked so many questions, and I took such thorough notes. I mean, pages of notes. I was typing. I was writing. I was taking permalinks and saving them so I could get back to certain areas she was telling me about. I mean, I went after this healthcare and this health insurance stuff like I was literally writing a senior thesis on it. It was just intense. But I walked away having so much information, I was able to help tens upon tens upon tens of my friends 
go to the website and also get healthcare. They loved it. People would be like, Jesse, you know, I heard you know about this website. I'm like, oh, I know about the website. I was like, swing by my house with your laptop. I'll show you everything you need to see. So why am I bringing up that story? Because that's what I decided to do with the GCU Halo interface. Um, It was this time. Oh, goodness gracious. What was it? It was probably Monday. Monday, Tuesday, I was just super frustrated. And I spent my whole morning, six hours, clicking every single link on this website. And I mean, it's a login one. I mean, there's passwords, there's double featured access codes. I mean, it is intense to even get logged in. And I did everything. And I was copying and pasting over URLs and permalinks and everything to make sure that when I needed to get back to certain pages, I didn't have to dig through, you know, 15 different links. I knew exactly where to go. And looking back at my first week when I just tried to bull rush forward, if I had just slowed down and taking my time to learn more about the system that I was now stepping into, I could have saved myself hours of frustration. I spent 11 hours creating 10 references on a bibliography page and then also doing another essay that was just taking three of those 10 and paraphrasing the research involved. I don't know how long it took the rest of the class. It took me 11 hours. Because I was doing things and I'd go back and read the instructions and be like, oh my goodness, I didn't do that right. Okie dokie, go back, fix that for an hour. Oh, then read it again and be like, wait, 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 that's that's not what I did. Okay, back again, doing it over again. Now, making these errors certainly created an anchor within me that I will now firmly have entrenched in me to be mindful to notice whenever things should be having a hanging indent where there should be periods or where there should be commas and where there should be parentheses. But if I had just slowed down right out the gate and just taken some time to look around, to be a little bit more mindful of reading the instructions. And where I think this benefits you all to hear me rattle on about that for the last seven minutes is that there is a lot of new opportunities to all of us when we step into addiction recovery. When we first go into a sobriety home or we go into a sobriety meeting, there's a lot. And a lot of people are going to throw a lot of things at us. And it's going to be up to us to choose which one of those we want to dive deeper into. And like I've been talking about in the last few episodes, relax, slow down. This is going to take a while. We want things to happen so fast that we just bull rush into the China shop and say, fuck it, I'll figure it out. I just want to go, 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 go. And there's a lot to be said about taking action and that gung-ho mentality and saying, I will seize the day, right? Robin Williams and in the that poet movie he did back in the 80s, you know, where it gets everybody jazzed about reading poetry and it's just like, yeah, right? You know, you just want to charge for it and yes, seize the day. There's also a lot to be said for slowing down, using a rational mind, looking over what the options are, being thoughtful, planning a little bit, strategizing a little bit, and then getting started. This is at the essence of wise mind. Emotionally, Jesse just wants to charge for it. I just want to go, 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 go. I'll figure it out along the way. I'm just so hyped. I'm so pumped. What's the big deal? It's only a 200-word essay. It only needs one reference. How big of a deal could this be? And then an hour and a half later, I'm like, seriously, what the hell? This took me an hour and a half. Why did it just take me an hour and a half? 
right? What could I have done differently? And I do admit that making some of these quote-unquote errors in judgment now are going to save me frustration then, but I can't help wonder if I just slow down a little bit, if I'd have a little bit more thought into this, used my wise mind, brought in the emotional excitement, but also the rational mind that says, let's strategize a little bit. Let's plan a little bit. Let's think this through so we're maximally prepared when fingers meet keyboard. And having done all this, and you know, week three just started up, first essay, crushed it out in 37 minutes. Still needed one reference, still had to be bibliographied, still had to be referenced, and still had to be in, in sentence citations. But I was able to do, cut my time, this time last week, these same five-point essays that are supposed to be two, no more than 200 words were taking me an hour and a half, and I've cut it down to 37 minutes by thoughtfully reading the instructions knowing how to research on the Halo site, being able to get to an article that will back up my point of view, and then writing about it. And I also brought in Grammarly, which is this website that checks your grammar uh, to make sure that that's good. I'm staying away from ChatGPT because I know universities frown upon that that, um, application's use. Uh, within the college world, I'm very tech savvy, so I absolutely know about GPT. I've been using it a ton for other projects. It is amazing how much that thing can help uh, rewrite a website. <laughs> but for sure, I'm staying away from it within the university system because I know it's being frowned upon. And I know that it's not something that would behoove me to use. I do not need a system writing things for me. I do need a copy editor, and that's what Grammarly does. So I was really happy to bring that back in. In fact, I wrote my whole book, um, My um, Seven Powerful Principles to Succeed in College and Beyond. If you go to Amazon, you can find it. I am a published author, two times over, actually. Um, And I use Grammarly to help me write that. So bringing Grammarly in has also helped me write better papers, get better scores. So bringing this back to us and what we're discussing within the addiction recovery world, slowing down, getting used to the interface, reading the instructions, thinking, really thinking about what I was I wanted to write about has absolutely been a humongous game changer. I cannot stress that enough. I highly recommend that when new things are brought into your world and you have the opportunity to do something new that you have not experienced before in your sobriety and recovery journey, that yes, I want you to take action. I want you to jump up on the desk and say, everybody, let's go. But also slow down enough as you're charging into the, the China shop to really plan and strategize, you know, if there's instructions or rules or, you know, something that you could learn a little bit about before you went into it, then by all means, do that as well. Because I think a lot of us lack that level of impulse control. We want that instant gratification and we dive right into something without really backing it up with any extra knowledge that would help us while we were in the nitty gritty down in the trenches. And then we turn around, you know, X amount of time into this whole thing and be like, frick, if I only had known this, 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 and this, and it turns out I actually could have just Googled those things. And you're like, ah, would have loved to have learned that a little sooner. Um, And it's just, you know, for me, these are aspects of my personality characteristics that I like to be self-aware about. I love that I challenge myself and I charge forward. That I've got a full plate and I'm like, yep, going to throw masters on top of this. I love all of it. 
but it just means that I have to be more self-aware of my emotions, of my thinking, of my time creation, and that I have to really be mindful of when enough is enough and when to tap out and say, you know what, I think I just need to take a break. I need to take a day. And I want you to be thinking that too. During National Recovery Month, yes, we are striving to be better versions of ourselves, healthier, more balanced, more grounded. We are seeking all of that. And part of that is understanding that there are days where we just need to stop and breathe. I talk a lot about taking action. In this episode alone, I have discussed communication, personal responsibility, language patterns where you're not using the word I and you're trying to blame and complain and make excuses for why something didn't go right. And then I've even covered how I just like to charge forward and 11 hours later, I realize I cost myself eight hours by not just reading the instructions all the way through and really following what clearly was stated right in front of me. Uh, It's just wild the lessons I can learn when I just am self-aware about my actions and my behaviors and how they lead me to my results and outcomes. And you can too. So for National Recovery Month, let's be that version of ourselves that is self-aware, that is focused on what we're seeking to achieve. And then we do a little after-action report. Well, this is what played out. What could I have done differently? So next time when I'm in a similar situation, my behaviors can dictate a different outcome that might even take me further along than I ever thought I could go. I cannot be spending 11 hours on every assignment. I would be spending 80 hours a week for a class that is, you know, two credit hours. There's a system. And once I get it down and I can't wait, I even said to somebody the other day, I was like, you know, it's just funny that something that's going to take me three hours today is going to take me 30 minutes in four months. I just wish I could already be four months later. (laughs) But that's not the way a journey goes because we don't teleport. All right, my friends, if you would like to know more about learning neuro-linguistic programming, callcoachjesse.com is open and available. Set up a time. You can, you can also go to uh, wisemindempowerment.com and set up a time there if you like. I know, I've got two portals. Um, jessemogel.com slash askme. You can always hit me up and ask me a question. Send emails to fromsirbrightytorecovery at gmail.com. Set up a web, website just for you guys, just for you. Whole, whole email account, just for you. It's only for the listeners of this show. Everybody who sends an email into there has listened to this show. From recovery at gmail.com. I hope that you have an amazing rest of your weekend. Happy Labor Day to anybody in the United States. Happy day to everybody else in the world. May we all be blessed to live a life of sobriety and recovery and realize that every day really is the best day of our lives when we wake up sober. 77 Sunrises Sober will be launching on the Wise Mind Empowerment and Leadership Academy website soon. If that's something you'd be interested in, go to jessemogul.com slash the hub and learn more about that. As always, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. What did I just say a second ago? That every day is the best day of our lives when we wake up sober. Hells yeah, it is. Shout out to Sunshine. Robert, may you rest in peace. Glow on. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye.